we should not let purity and perfection be the enemy of good. And therefore, we need to celebrate when people take uh, small steps, even if that's just as little as just Meatless Monday. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the PBN Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Lockie. On this week's episode, we have the prominent and influential John Oberg. John and I spoke back in early June 2019. John is an animal advocate, influencer, and social media professional dedicated to making the world a kinder place for animals through public speaking and using the internet as a means to push the strength of his message around the world. From being a director of communications for Vegan Outreach and the director of new media for the Humane League, John went on to launch his own Patreon with an aim to strengthen activists' abilities to fully utilize the power of social media. Originally from Detroit, Michigan, but now living in Washington, D.C., John first went vegan in 2009 after watching the documentary Earthlings. John and I are very good friends and talked in depth about the power of social media and the vegan movement. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Please don't forget to comment, like, and share. And if you're on iTunes, please do leave a review. It really helps get the message out there. Let's get to the episode. Hey, John, welcome to the Plant-Based News Podcast. Hey, Robbie, thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Yeah, it's really, really great. We've uh, been chatting for a long time and haven't really had an opportunity to sit down and discuss our ideas. And we've obviously done a few Instagram lives and stuff, but it's nice to kind of get you sit- sat down for an hour and go through all the sort of stuff that we work through on a daily basis. Definitely. Uh, it's, you know, it's been great chatting with you via text or whatever other ways we've spoken over the last couple of years where I've known each other, uh, but it's nice to have some official <laughs> stuff on the press, on, on the books here. Yeah, I was going to say FaceTime, but I can't see you. So, <laughs> <laughs> Right. Before we dive into everything you're doing with your life now and uh, all the amazing uh, things that you're involved in, let's go back in time and uh, tell us your vegan story and where it all began. Not just vegan story, but how did you get involved in this way of eating and the movement and everything? Everybody has their own vegan story, and I think that's something people uh, tend to overassume is that everybody has a light bulb moment where they suddenly just one day think, hey, I'm going to go vegan for X, Y, or Z reason. For most people, what happens is a series of events over a long period of time that eventually get them to adopt this idea and, and concept of, of, of eating plant-based foods. It's important for our advocacy to understand how people operate and how people change. And while we would love for there to be a magic argument or a, uh, you know, a magic pill uh, to <laughs> get people to get them to adopt a vegan diet, usually it is slowly breaking down the walls that they might have around them over time. And that is how it worked out for me. I was raised by a animal-loving mother named Karen Oberg. She and I uh, shared many experiences loving and caring for animals. We had many cats, we had turtles, and we cared for various wildlife and also like stray cats. Uh, we did TNR, so we would you know, trap, neuter, spay, and then release. Um, we did lots of various animal advocacy type things uh, when I was young. And I'm very happy that she instilled this sense of compassion for uh, the vulnerable and for those who needed our help. I'm very glad that she instilled that in me. There are a few things that stick out in my head um, in my younger life, Um, two things in particular. One, I will mention that was uh, my first um, act of activism, and that was with my mother. And then the second is the final straw that made me realize that I've got to 
stop eating animals. So the first example that I will give you is when I was uh, about 10 years old in 1997. My mom and I, uh, she, we, we were pretty, we were pretty poor. And in the state of Michigan, in the United States, um, if you return an aluminum bottle of pop or soda to the grocery store, you get a 10 cent return. At the time, it was the only U.S. state that did this. And um, despite this, people still tended to throw them out at like picnics or you know gatherings. And so there was a park somewhat near our house that my mom and I would go to um, regularly in the mornings before I would go to elementary school. It must have been about fifth grade or so. We would actually collect these aluminum bottles, aluminum cans out of trash cans. Um, and in a good day, we could get you know, 10, 20, 30 dollars worth of cans out of these trash cans. While my mom and I really enjoyed you know the camaraderie and, and you know the extra money and stuff, what really made us love this was that the only other beings out there awake and active at you know five in the morning, six in the morning, were deer. So we became almost like friends with these deer. We had names for them, and you know we, uh, you know we really loved and appreciated the deer here. My mom and I continued collecting bottles over the course of months, years. Around ninety-eight, ninety-nine, the park announced that they were going to have a cull, a killing of dozens or maybe it was hundreds of deer who had no longer a culling of the dozens, maybe hundreds of deer who knew no sense of hunting or being prey. And so my mom and I were outraged and heartbroken. They're quite tame then, were they? They were extremely tame. You know, we couldn't feed them out of our hands, but, you know, we could come pretty close. To know that these animals who knew nothing of suffering or fear in the wild um, at the hands of hunters uh, just absolutely broke our hearts. My mom did not sit by idly as this happened. She took to the streets. She and I would protest at the entrance and exits of this park for long periods of time in all weather conditions um, with signs saying, you know, uh, you know, advising people not to, you know, hunt these poor creatures. And it led to a, a lot of things for us. It led to actually some media coverage. I actually just uh, found some old VHS tapes of us in the news from back from like 1998. That was pretty cool. They interviewed my mom. And I spoke in front of the local uh, law enforcement authority there um, at, who oversaw that park and you know, advised them to, to not hunt the deer because you know, they deserved better. Unfortunately, our cries fell on deaf ears and uh, the hunts continued. And it was uh, certainly heartbreaking for us um, to know that you know, these deer were being slaughtered in a place where they where they, they called home and, and knew nothing like this. And while the outcome wasn't what we wanted and wasn't what we hoped for, it was certainly a, an experience for me as a young person, um, understanding that when there's something going on that I don't like, in particular animal cruelty and animal suffering, uh, there is something that you can do about it.
and that is to take to the streets. And so that was my first foray into activism. And uh, I look back um, with great pride that I was able to share that experience with my mom and that my mom you know, was able to share that with me. Because most people grow up and we grow up in this world where our families kind of teach us the opposite about animals, really, that animals are kind of just commodities. And we'll talk about that later. But yeah, what a great mom you had. My mom was uh, a, a wonderful human being, and I'm so lucky that I had her in my life. So the next story that I will tell to kind of cap off my vegan story is um, back in 2008, I was backpacking around Europe. I just had a backpack um, for three months, and I was uh, in Finland. I was in Helsinki, and I was walking around an open-air market uh, in downtown Helsinki, I was not vegetarian or vegan at the time. I, mean, I was 21 years old. And I was on definitely on a shoestring budget, to say the least. Uh, ticket was expensive to fly over there. Uh, and, you know, the train ticket was expensive. And so um, I had to cut corners where I could. So that, you know, included food. So I tried to, you know, spend as little as, on food as possible. And looking back, I was definitely way too conservative um, with the amount of money I spent on food. Uh, but, you know, I was able to save some money there. So anyway, in this open air market, I came across a reindeer meat seller. Uh, this guy had a bunch of prepared reindeer meat. So reindeer sausages, reindeer meatballs, and a variety of other kinds of prepared reindeer meats. Reindeer meat wasn't necessarily speaking to me, <laughs> but, you know, uh, food certainly was. And I kind of became friends with this guy and he understood my situation and he said, hey, come back at five o'clock and when I'm closing down, I'll give you whatever's left over. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. So I went and occupied myself for a few hours, went back at five o'clock and sure enough, he gave me everything he had left over. And by everything, I mean a garbage bag full of reindeer meat. <laughs> wow. uh, literally reindeer sausages, reindeer meatballs. In a garbage bag, I threw it like a sack over my shoulder like I was Santa Claus. <laughs> and uh, we ended up hanging out that, that afternoon, walking around downtown Helsinki and hit it off. And he told me how he was an activist. I had always had this feeling in myself that I wanted to be an activist too, or that I was an activist and I hadn't yet, I hadn't yet like you know really taken much action. You know, his sort of activism wasn't necessarily something that spoke to me at the time, but or, or you know I took that as an opportunity to tell him, hey, I want to be an activist too. And he said, oh, what kind of activist do you want to be? And I said, I want to be an animal activist. And he stopped me dead in my tracks and he looked at me and he said. If you want to be an animal activist, you should probably stop eating all this reindeer meat. <laughs> and I had never made the connection before that animals who I loved and cherished and would give my life to prevent the cruelty to were also suffering in great numbers as a result of my food choices. And it sounds weird to myself now, probably to you, Robbie and probably to many of your listeners, to think about this. But I think we have to remember that even adults don't really think about the food that they're putting in their mouths, at least not critically. And to me, it wasn't until I was 21 years old 
that I finally thought critically about the choices I was making. And that was the final nail in the casket of me eating animals. And so that led me to uh, to go vegetarian based on principle. He mentioned that thought or he questioned you in that moment. And what happened after that? I look at it as planting seeds. And I look at it as that was the last seed that was planted. And I didn't go vegetarian immediately, but I knew that was what triggered me knowing that was something that I wanted to do. I wanted to make part of my life. And so it was a few months later that I actually made the plunge into vegetarianism. When I did that, um, I did it just on principle. I didn't actually know anything about factory farming and know anything about the, how animals are really being treated in factory farms. About 10 months went by, and then I watched a film called Earthlings. And Earthlings opened up my eyes to how dairy cows and egg-laying hens were also treated. And I knew immediately that it was time to go vegan and get involved with activism. Yeah, uh, I can personally uh, attest to that film being an incredibly effective tool for kind of making or hammering that final nail in the coffin of carnism, as one might say. (laughs) (laughs) I like Uh, like that phrase. I'm the same as you. I had many seeds planted. They never kind of germinate and they never kind of flourished. I also I grew up around a lot of animals and loved and cared about animals. Had many companion animals, cats and dogs and mice and rats and rabbits and chickens and all these creatures. Um, but then I was still eating them, so I never had made that connection until you know years later when someone said a few things and I watched a few documentaries. And I still seven year not been vegan that long, but sort of seven years later, I still find this process that you just described. Remarkable, incredible how a human being can go from living, eating, thinking in a certain way and then completely changing and shifting their life into an, a different direction. And it and it's not just what we eat. It ultimately fundamentally changes the way we see the world and the way we see ourselves in this world as well. Absolutely. Uh, it, it is uh, interesting how we all have different journeys. We are attracted to different things at different times of our lives. And, uh, you know, one thing that we can, can be confident of is that everybody generally loves animals and doesn't want them to suffer needlessly. So mm. uh, it is certainly nice that we are basically all on the starting page, which is why making the case for plant-based eating is really quite an easy one when you think about the fact that essentially everyone opposes animal cruelty. Absolutely. And speaking of sort of animal cruelty, you've now made it your life's work, really, to kind of speak out against cruelty, to teach others and support and empower others to be effective advocates. Tell us a little bit about how you got involved in becoming what I often joke as a professional vegan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my journey to a professional vegan uh, started out with me going vegan uh, just under 10 years ago around the time that we talked about earlier, uh, when I was uh, about 21, 22. And I went vegan, and I immediately wanted to get involved with activism. So right away, I started getting involved with every bit of animal activism I could in Phoenix, Arizona, where I was living and going to college at the time. And I found a really great mentor named Jeff Bogosian. I was really impressed with his approach. And uh, I really found a great sense of community 
doing this activism. Um, this was uh, mainly leafletting college campuses and street corners and um, anywhere where there's you know a large amount of foot traffic. And I really enjoyed that. But I also did other forms of activism like you know food giveaways, demonstrations, uh, protests, uh, showing videos, that sort of thing. And and I really liked all these kinds of activism, but leafletting spoke to me the most. And when I graduated college uh, in 2012, I got a job right out of college with Vegan Outreach, traveling around North America, handing out leaflets at college campuses. Do you want to explain what vegan out- who Vegan Outreach are? They're an organization. Yeah, so Vegan Outreach is a U.S.-based animal protection organization who is focused, um, or at the time was focused almost exclusively on leafletting. And that was their form of their form of outreach and activism was um, handing out leaflets in co- in large numbers to as many individuals as they possibly could, you know, within our budget. My job was to uh, basically live out of my car and go from college to college, strategically handing out as many pamphlets as possible. And in just under twelve months, I handed out uh, over two hundred fifty thousand leaflets over 100 universities in 35 U.S. states and five Canadian provinces. So I got around, and I really, really loved it. Then my mom got sick, and while I was on tour, um, I actually finished one of my tours with Vegan Outreach um, in Michigan um, so I could spend some time with her, which is where she was living and where I'm from. While I was finishing this tour, I was just hanging out with my mom, and she wasn't feeling well one night, so we went to the hospital and learned that she had uh, stage four small cell lung cancer, uh, which was uh, absolutely devastating to us. Uh, but I decided to take a hiatus from my job and take care of her full time. So I took care of my mom uh, full time for three years. Um, so I, I got off the road and just uh, lived with her in a trailer in uh, suburban Detroit. And uh, that was my life for a while, and uh, I loved being able to spend time with her. And during this time, um, I obviously couldn't travel to Leaflet, but Vegan Outreach did allow me to take over the social media for Vegan Outreach, and this was something that I could do from home, and it didn't take you know 40 hours a week to do at the time. Imagine yourself for a moment as Terry the Pig. You are born into absolute filth and sadness and cruelty. You never see outdoors until one day you are pushed onto this monstrosity, a slaughterhouse bound truck. And you are crammed so tightly you can barely move an inch. You're hungry, but there is no food. Thirsty, but there is no water. Hot as hell, but there is no relief. And this is your life, and this is how you spend a 30 or so hour ride from some factory farm in Iowa to a slaughterhouse in Los Angeles. Had you been or involved or had social media, had you been using it personally, or was it kind of, were you thrown in at the deep end? Yeah, so the reason uh, the reason I ended up doing it was because John Camp, one of my good friends and, and longtime mentors, he thought that I had a really good personal social media presence. And that I really understood how social media worked and, and could optimize it. And so he said, so when the opportunity presented itself 
to fill the role of running the social media pages for Vegan Outreach, I was the, the first pick. And I kind of reluctantly said yes. And I immediately realized how important and effective this tool was. In one day of focusing on social media activism, I could do as much good as I could in an entire year or even in an entire lifetime of handing out leaflets at college campuses because of the way that social media allows us to speak to individuals on a massive scale all across the globe immediately. I really enjoyed that. Uh, so I continued running the Vegan Outreach social media for, uh, for two or three years, and then I left Vegan Outreach and joined the Humane League shortly after my mom passed away. And, and yeah, so she passed away at the end of 2015, and uh, at the beginning of 2016, I joined the Humane League um, and hit the road again. I worked for the Humane League for three years, running and overseeing their social media, and about six months ago, I came to the realization that the best work that I can be doing for animals is by focusing on social media full-time in an independent way. And so I launched a Patreon and I have been working full-time as a social media professional vegan activist over the last six months. Um, and part of that is uh, I've been doing some social media consulting with animal rights organizations. Happy that you know you and I get to chat uh, occasionally about uh, you know optimizing social media, and uh, in addition to that, focusing on building on my own social media presence. So I am here to empower you to become the best animal activist that you can be, and together we are going to create a huge amount of change for animals. We are going to create a kinder world for animals together. All right. John has uh, been helping and supporting Plum Based News for a while and has been an absolute legend helping us with lots of stuff. So just want to say thank you, John, for your incredible work and your support and encouragement. It's, uh, yeah, it's been uh, amazing. Well, it's an honor to work with you and work with one of the great brands within the vegan movement. And you are doing such incredible work and inspiring so many individuals. Uh, it's, it's truly astonishing. Um, I'm just constantly blown away by by the numbers, but also by just the individual stories and impact that you're having on so many individuals, which is in turn making such a massive difference for farm animals. So, um, you know, it's really great to work together in this capacity. Thank you. Yeah, it's been an incredible ride and um, I'm so blessed and honored to be involved in it because, you know, seven years ago, if you said to me, I'd be working as a full-time vegan advocate, I would have laughed in your face. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I would have thought you were ridiculous. I mean, I was a, you know, consider myself a kind and caring person, but not in a million years did I think I would be doing work like this, um, especially not on such a, a large scale. But it's only possible because, you know, the support and guidance and, you know, um, kind of generosity of, you know, people like you who who kind of believe in what we're doing and get behind us really and support us to, to keep it growing. It's a very interesting space to be in because, you know, we're not kind of standing up as individuals, as personalities. We've built a platform which is focused very much on kind of spreading knowledge and spreading information. And we do sometimes get kind of backlash from the vegan demimond, as Klaus likes to call it, um, that 
says that what we're doing isn't real activism and that we're kind of just lining our own pockets. And it's kind of fun. It's funny, really, when you hear people say that because they, they have this perception of Plant Based News as this big organization when, in fact, there's three people working their butts off. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, it is quite hilarious. Um, and it's, it's actually funny that you mentioned that because, um, as I mentioned to you recently, but obviously not to your listeners, um, I at recently asked several individuals um, if they had to guess how many people do they think are working at plant-based news full-time. The three different people set a range between 20 and 60. And so uh, the fact that it's only three full-time individuals really is amazing. You know, I think that's certainly foolish to look at what you're doing and not say that this is activism. Activism comes in all shapes and sizes. It is not just standing in front of a store with a sign. Um, it is not just handing out a leaflet to someone. Um, you know, it is not just talking to someone about veganism. Leaf or activism is any action that is being taken to further our cause, and that could be done in a variety of ways. And uh, you guys have really mastered doing this on the media front and on the social media front. Um, you've done absolutely amazing work. I mean, look at your Instagram, you know, almost half a million followers. Uh, Facebook, hundreds of thousands. Um, Twitter, tens of thousands of followers. People love plant-based news and for good reason because plant-based news is doing things that get people to think differently about how animals should be treated and how their actions make an impact on animals. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Um, with with regards to kind of the message, now I have a theory uh, which I think you've we've talked about before about when we put a message out there, it's very important to consider the message and how it's packaged. We could talk all day about strategies for communication and effective communication, but what do you think about the idea that we should be very cautious on how we deliver this message to people, especially non-vegans, and that if we kind of go on social media and just post videos of animals being tortured and abused every day. What kind of effect are we hoping to get if we, if we do that? And if we consider the methods, we might be a little more effective if we are more kind of strategic. I love the passion that vegans have. Unfortunately, that passion often leads to vegans acting in ways that are not strategically ideal. While vegans have a lot of passion and a lot of power and make a big impact, uh, that impact could go so much further if we thought about our tactics in the most strategic ways possible. And so one of the things that I do uh, in, in my role as an independent activist working on getting the movement to be more effective on social media and beyond is really getting uh, vegans to perfect their activism on social media in both their tactics and in their communication. And we have a lot of room to improve on both of those fronts. To, to talk very briefly about you know ways to improve both of these is tactics. Just hitting the share button a hundred times a day is not going to you know achieve what you want it to achieve. You can achieve a lot of good on social media, even with a small following, by implementing 
smart tactics in terms of what you're posting, how you're posting, when you're posting, um, who you're connecting with, and so on. Um, and then communication, screaming at the top of a mountain, you know, go vegan, go vegan, go vegan, might make you feel great. But what is actually going to get people to go vegan? And I'm pretty sure it's not yelling at a mountaintop, go vegan, or it's certainly not shaming individuals or screaming in their face. No matter how much activities like that can potentially make a person feel good about themselves or make their ego feel good and and feel heard, ultimately all that matters is what is going to get these animals out of cages and off factory farms and off of our plates. What is going to work? What is going to create this change? Ultimately, we have to look at everything we do and everything we say on social media and beyond as an opportunity to help animals or to hurt animals. And vegan activists need to ask themselves that question more often. Is what I'm doing or what I'm about to do going to help animals or hurt animals? I think people often when they kind of get into these situations where they want to do something, say something, often come from a place of pure emotion. So anger, frustration, fear, resentment, revenge. Um, And I think it's important that when we try and decide what we're going to do, whether it's activism, whether it's advocacy through dialogue, we have to think about who is the person that we're talking to and how will they receive that message. Because like what you said, if we're going to scream on street, on street corners, go vegan, meat is murder, we might feel better in ourselves about what we're doing. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm out here, I'm speaking up for what I believe in, I'm, I'm speaking out for animals. And you know, in many ways, you are doing that when you are speaking out. But actually, you know, one should always question and, and, and ask ourselves, am I effective is this working? You know, is this uh, having a, a positive or negative um, effect? And I think you know that self analysis is essential in everything that we do. If we want to become full time advocates, or we even want to, you know, influence our friends and family, or, or workmates, or whatever it is. But it's that kind of conscious jump from like, I know that meat is murder, or I might believe that as a vegan because murder is defined as murdering or killing. Sorry, killing an individual, killing a a person. But non-vegans and most people around the world don't understand the phrase meat is murder because they don't see animals as individuals, as people, as non-human people. And I think that's the big jump for a lot of people is to make that decision to put their their kind of baseline emotions aside for a second and go, what's the most effective way to have this conversation with this stranger rather than getting angry and showing that raw emotion? So it's a really difficult thing. And I think it's a bit like, it's a bit like kind of ex-smokers. I always laugh that, you know, ex-smokers and, ex- and, and, and new vegans have a lot in common. They go around preaching and getting very angry with people. Right. You know, preaching feels great. But, you know, I really recommend every vegan activist out there, whether you're brand new to the scene or have been doing activism for years, I'd like you to watch an undercover video of factory farming. And look into the eyes of that chicken, that pig, that cow, and ask yourself, am I doing the best that I can for you? Not for me, 
not for my friends, not for my community, not for anybody else, but for that animal. Am I doing the best that I possibly can? And if you are somebody who is involved with inactively shaming other people, um, being rude and cutting to other people, there's a very, very high likelihood that the activism you're involved in is potentially causing more harm than good. And there are not that many vegan activists out there. Yes, we're growing in numbers by the day, and I'm very excited for the future, but there's still not that many vegan activists out there. So each one of us really, truly have a responsibility in trying to be as effective as we can on social media and in real life, in everything we do and everything we say. 100%. And I think also we should all be open to criticism as well. Um, I've been not regularly, but fairly often I've been kind of called out by some other activists for offering criticism or offering my opinions on certain forms of advocacy or or direct action, actually, more than advocacy. I'm not against advocacy of any sort. I'm, I'm against certain tactics within direct action. When activism or campaigning is like a multi-pronged attack, you know, you have to kind of try and slay this, slay the beast of of whatever it is you're trying to bring down in a in a multi-pronged way really your tactics to create change need to be multifaceted because obviously often social change is is working to try and unshackle really entrenched ways of thinking like racism or sexism or things like slavery as well you know they were massively intertwined and intertangled entangled within kind of common culture and society so I think for, for for these things to be changed, people have to try different tactics. But I still think that as ad- advocates and activists, we should be open to the criticism of other people, as long as it's constructive and it's focused on solutions rather than just being a personal attack. Because I really don't think that we should be attacking each other personally, our characters or our appearance or our race or our gender. There's a huge amount of kind of personal attacking that goes on within the vegan movement. So many people, when I have these conversations, I say, what's the number one thing standing in the way of the vegan movement? And almost every single person says other vegans. Yeah. Infighting. Uh, Yeah. You know, and it's not a vegan thing. It's a human thing. Human beings are exceptionally, you know, can be exceptionally arrogant, egotistical and aggressive creatures, you know, who are want to hold on to their way of thinking and their kind of uh, their stance more than anything else. What do you think about all this stuff? Because obviously, you know, you're, you've are you been heavily involved in this movement way longer than I have. <laughs> how how do you feel about all the infighting and how do you feel about all the, and it's everywhere, it's within organizations, it's online, it's, you know, how do we deal with it? I have certainly found the infighting within the animal protection movement over the last 10 years as being possibly our greatest detriment. I think that society is generally moving in the right direction towards more plant-based eating, um, towards a more vegan world. The speed of which we get there, however, is dependent on the work that you and I do. The amount of infighting that I've seen over my 10 years in the movement has really led me to believe that we have a lot of missed opportunity because we are focused on what others are doing more than we're focused on the activism that we're involved in. It's very important for each one of us to measure and check the effectiveness 
of the work that we are doing as activists, not to be focused on what other activists are doing as uh, so much so. It is important for us to have a diverse range of tactics. Um, there are certainly some tactics that I would have to say that almost no one would think is is effective. And you know, one of those is shaming people publicly. Uh, that is certainly one of the things that I find to be cringeworthy and at times even heart-wrenching to see the movement commit acts that are somewhat embarrassing to to hurt people. Um, you know, our our mission should never be to hurt people. Our mission to be should be to help animals and do whatever it takes to help animals. And so, I certainly believe in doing whatever it takes as long as it is uh, effective. Keyword effective. And I don't think enough um, activists are really focused on effectiveness. And that's you know one reason that I went independent to focus on getting the movement to be more effective. Um, like I said, on social media, but also just everywhere. Um, in terms of their tactics and their communication. Other than infighting, um, what are some of the other sort of key challenges that we face as a movement to kind of keep driving things forward? One of the key challenges, I think, is not being open to spreading the message to people who think differently than us. It is very vitally important that we get everybody to go vegan and to become vegan activists and advocates. Even people who aren't fully vegan activists, um, we need to celebrate what they do. So what I mean by this is that um, I would say these terms might mean something different in the UK, but I would say most vegans uh, in the United States tend to be liberal, progressive Democrats um, on on the left wing of the political spectrum. There are various reasons for that. But that is the case. A problem with that is that our message ends up catering to just people who fall within a certain spectrum on this political wing as us. And then that basically doesn't reach anybody on the right wing or even in other areas on the left wing or in the center. I want everybody to become vegan activists and to make the world a better place for animals, not just people who think like you or me or, or, or others. And so when we cater our message to the, to the general public, we have to remember that the general public is a very wide spectrum of individuals who need to hear the message in ways that work for them. So we need to have a big tent movement that just incorporates everybody and that we're re- so that we're reaching everybody. I think we have to be realistic as well. And I think a lot of people are quite naive and make the assumption that, as you say, all vegans are left-wing liberal types, you know, who are kind of, you know, open to other forms of oppression and, you know, that every vegan is going to be kind and courteous. And, you know, there's a lot of vegans that are homophobic. There's a lot of vegans who are racist and transphobic and sexist. And that's the thing is that vegans come in all shapes and sizes, all different political persuasions. That first connection that people make about not eating and hurting animals, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to be nice people. (laughs) Yeah. And another example of this is celebrating progress, not just perfection. 
So for example, when Beyonce, who occasionally wears fur, when she does something like promotes a plant-based eating guide, that is awesome. We should not look at that as her not being pure or her helping some animals but hurting other animals. Who cares as long as she, what she's doing is getting more people to eating plant-based food and being open to eating plant-based food, that is a huge victory. Too much within this movement, we have been focused on perfection and purity. And perfection and purity are ultimately some of the animal's biggest enemies. Uh, so we need to really be open to welcoming all people, no matter their political leaning, but also all people who are making efforts for animals, whether that's flexitarians, vegetarians, or people like Beyonce promoting a plant-based eating guide while also you know, doing other things that aren't great for animals. That leads me nicely onto the next point, which is uh, a very divisive and polarizing topic within the vegan community and also just generally about animal consumption Uh, we put a graphic out on tbn's uh, instagram today and it said between 24 percent and 36 percent of the uk france and germany are now flexitarians and to anyone who doesn't know what a flexitarian is the flexitarian is a person who's actively reducing their animal animal product consumption specifically meat for health environmental or ethical reasons so they're not quite vegan um, but they're probably having several vegan meals a week or vegetarian meals a week probably more vegan here in the UK. Um, And they're consciously aware of the environmental impact of meat. And so they're working to reduce it. People say, what's the difference between that and an omnivore? Well, you know, an omnivore is just a kind of clinical scientific uh, description of an organism that eats uh, pretty much anything. And that's why a lot of people classify humans as omnivores. But a flexitarian, like a vegan, is a conscious choice to do something uh, with their food. And personally, I believe that flexitarianism is a positive thing you know if you had a thousand people eating ten thousand vegan meals a year that's a hell of a lot better than just you know one perfect vegan you know being 100 percent perfect 100 percent of the time it's obviously in as vegans we want everyone to be eating 100 percent vegan meals but ultimately i do believe that flexitarianism is on the road to veganville what do you think about that one thing i want to mention robbie is that This is not a controversial topic outside of our tiny little niche here of vegan activists. Most people uh, are like, people eating less meat, cool, thumbs up. That's like the vast majority of people. You know, to say it's controversial uh, is something to keep in mind is it's very controversial to a very small number of people. Like I mentioned earlier, we should not let purity and perfection be the enemy of good. And therefore, we need to celebrate when people take uh, small steps, even if that's just as little as just Meatless Monday. And this is there's a variety of reasons for this. For one, this is certainly on the road to Veganville. Most vegans I know, and I know thousands of vegans, and most of the vegans that I know did not go vegan overnight. They started out vegetarian or started out flexitarian, and they slowly moved their way towards veganism and so we need to remember that like you know that vegetarian or that flexitarian that you want to shame so badly they might be vegan in a month or in a year or in 10 years and we need to do things that celebrate their move and celebrate 
them going on this journey, not trying to shame them. You know, these were often our best audience and the lowest hanging fruit. We shouldn't do things that alienate them. You know, nothing gets, you know, nothing makes my blood boil more than when I see vegans shaming vegetarians. Yes, vegetarians are causing slightly more suffering than vegans are, but that does not mean that they should be our target. Our target target audience should be the general public out there who are eating meat, dairy, and eggs three times a day. Those are the people that we need to be reaching. Also, another reason that we should be celebrating these people is that the rise of flexitarianism has led to the rise of plant-based options in restaurants, which has led to a rise in veganism. It's a beautiful cycle that plays off each other. So we need to recognize flexitarians, vegetarians, pescatarians, part-time vegans, whatever you want to call them, as key segments of the movement who are doing positive things and making a positive disruption in the current status quo. Absolutely. I think we have to be focused on the positive changes. I was just actually looking through the comments of that post on Instagram and it, oh gosh, it's depressing really when you see so many people attacking the word flexitarian. I might just sort of read a few just to kind of give the listeners a bit of a flavor of the kinds of things that we we face. So here's a comment as an example. Flexitarian is a ridiculous name for an omnivore. Just because someone doesn't eat meat for every meal or every day doesn't mean anything at all. They're still a meat eater. Flexitarian doesn't mean anything. It's just a term created for meat eaters to make them feel better about eating meat. But there's obviously lots of positive ones too. So there are always reasonable people in these conversations. But when we look at all these conversations and we see all these people fighting and we see all the kind of suffering in the world, especially all the animal suffering, I mean, as a person, as a kind of young man working within this movement and mental health being such a big kind of part of who we are, positive mental health, what are some of the ways in which you stay positive as a person amongst and what seems to be a tsunami of suffering and just difficulties, really? There is certainly a tsunami of suffering out there. I take solace knowing that uh, there are a lot of people who are doing a lot of work that is reducing the suffering. And a lot of people are becoming more and more aware of the cruelties that farm animals endure behind the closed doors of factory farms and slaughterhouses. And therefore, there are a lot of people who are making changes that are reflecting that and making a big difference for these animals. And there's a lot of proof out there that this is working. One of the instances of proof, this stuff we were just talking about, how a lot of more people are eating a lot less meat. That is a really big victory for animals. And like you had said earlier, you know, 10 people being flexitarian is better than one vegan because all that matters is how we impact animals. Whatever is going to get the most amount of animals to be saved is what I want. And while I wish everybody would go 100% vegan, we have to be realistic with our expectations. And getting a lot of people to eat a lot less meat is a really big victory for animals. And that isn't as sexy. That isn't as sexy. It doesn't fit on a protest sign. It doesn't get the likes on Instagram or the retweets on Twitter. But it's truth. We've got to do whatever we can that is as, that's going to be as effective as possible. You know, I take a lot of hope and, and, and uh, celebration in the fact that uh, there are tons more plant-based foods out there that, than there ever were. 
I've recently been to the Plant-Based World Expo in New York. Um, a few months ago, I was at uh, the Natural Products Expo in Anaheim, California. And the amount of plant-based vegan foods that are out there is just unbelievable. Everybody's doing it. It's becoming such a mainstream thing. Um, I'm very, very excited for the future. And one thing in particular that I'm very excited about is the invention of and the eventual adoption of clean meat. And this is meat that is, um, it's real meat, but it's not taken from dead animals. Uh, I think that clean meat is going to be what ultimately ends factory farming and saves billions and billions of animals every single year. Uh, it is going to be an absolute game changer once it is mainstream. And as vegan activists doing what we can to help animals, we need to really celebrate and get behind clean meat as a really big way to to help animals. Now, you would think every vegan would be behind this, because if you think about what clean meat is, it's an opportunity to provide the people and the companion animals that want to eat meat or need to eat meat, like cats, for example, and save the lives, as you said, of trillions or billions of uh, animals that probably didn't need to be born into existence and then suffer horrific lives and then be you know slaughtered in even more horrific conditions but that's not the case there are many people countless vegans who are exceptionally outspoken about clean meat or cultured meat as it might be called or lab meat saying it's franken food that it's actually encouraging humans to continue eating meat that we don't need to eat meat what we should be doing is encouraging people to eat plant-based meats and things what do we say to these vegans who are um, all these people in the community who are generally kind of vehemently against anything to do with culture or, or lab grown meat? Well, a few things. For one, there are often um, on the fringes people who are very loud. And we are discussing the people who are loud here. The silent majority, the general public, or like most people, most vegans believe that clean meat is a good thing. Um, there are some people who are outspoken, and, and it's, that's unfortunate. But uh, you know, ultimately, it's not really them that matters as much as it is the general public adopting this um, and, and accepting it as as mainstream. And that will eventually come. And it is something that is uh, incredibly exciting. Um, you know, as much as I want a vegan world, uh, it is a very, very, very slow process in getting there. And anything that can help expedite that, I want to take advantage of. And this is going to expedite it in a way that's going from like, you know, one mile per hour to 60 miles per hour. It is going to just make a huge difference. And even if you don't want to eat the stuff, you need to celebrate the fact that other people want to eat it because a few cells from an animal will create literally tons and tons, like thousands and thousands of pounds of meat. And it is going to uh, in factory farming as we know it. And for that reason, I'm very excited about clean meat. Mm, absolutely. You know, we have to look at the at the situation we find ourselves in. The planet is on the verge of a, a climate kind of breakdown or climate crisis, as we're now calling it, no longer calling it climate change. We're seeing rapid drops in uh, ice coverage in the, in, the, uh, in the poles so bad that it's people are really starting to panic because the changes seem to be so severe. We're seeing over a million species that are in danger of becoming extinct, and probably that number will rapidly increase 
we find ourselves on this planet and we're literally eating the heart out of this planet. This is the, this is the situation we find ourselves in. And as you know, many people will know, animal agriculture is the leading cause of species extinction, ocean dead zones, deforestation, river acidification. It is just such a bad way to live and exist. So clean meat offers an opportunity to produce protein in a way that is a hundredth of the the resources, the water, the land use, and it will be free of dioxins, free of antibiotics, free of pesticides, free of all the nasty stuff that un- that you know these poor animals' bodies are. Uh, subjected to when they're on these these in these disgusting factory farms so it is a fantastic solution it's just trying to show people that it is a a viable and positive solution is a real challenge so i'm hoping in the next few years once it becomes commercially viable we'll all be able to kind of advocate for it i personally don't feel like i will eat it um because just more from a health perspective i don't feel humans uh in our current kind of form really need to eat the flesh of animals but, um, you know, if my, a, fr- a good friend of mine or a family member wanted to choose um, a clean meat burger over a burger that came from a cow or land meat, as they call it, I would applaud that choice and I would encourage it because, you know, it would see one less animal killed. So I think it's a positive thing. Absolutely. I'm right there with you, Robbie. So we're always coming to the end now. Um, how do you see yourself kind of evolving as an advocate and a professional vegan, as we called it, over the next few years? What are some of the things that you think that you'll be doing to drive the movement forward? My focus is really to get people to be as effective as possible in what I think is a heavily underutilized tool, and that is social media. Uh, That is why I've focused all of my efforts on uh, helping animals through social media. And in the uh, first five and a half months of 2019, I've had a hundred million impressions of my content across Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And this is because of strategic utilization of this platform. I do not think I'm a magician and I do not have a PhD in social media. I've just adopted tactics that work. And these are tactics that anybody can do. And I still see social media as as a completely underutilized tool by vegans, um, both in how they're using it strategically and tactically in terms of like reach and reaching larger amounts of people, but also in how they're communicating the, the message for animals. So over the next few years, I plan to work as hard as possible to get vegan activists and those caring about animals to be more effective on social media. And I plan on doing this through my Patreon which you can find at patreon.com slash John Oberg. And I look forward to working with uh, all of you uh, amazing vegan activists out there to really help us create a kinder world for animals. Before I let you go, I always like to ask my guests uh, three questions. If Well, three questions. Offer you three things. You're, <laughs> you're stuck on a desert island with that pig, um, and your pig is your friend. You're not going to eat the pig. If, if you're there and the, I could give you three things, a vegan dish – a book and a music album, what would you take with you? Wow, that is a good question. Mac and cheese. Although as I'm saying this, I'm thinking about how thirsty I would probably be uh, after and that would not be good, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Uh, So some vegan mac and cheese. Uh, For book, I would have to go with, you know, although I'd be very happy hanging out with the pig, uh, I think that I'd want a story so that I could 
kind of take my mind out of the situation I was in. And uh, one of my favorite books from when I was younger was The Hobbit. So I would probably take The Hobbit and reread that a few times before I couldn't take it anymore. So the album that I would take with me on this desert island would be uh, the album Killers by Iron Maiden. Uh, It's one of my favorite albums of all time. Uh, I can listen to it over and over and never get tired of it. I figured I'd use a British band since I'm on a British podcast. So uh, (laughs) I go with Maiden. Good choices. Mr. John Oberg, thank you so much for joining us on the PBN podcast. It's been a pleasure as always, my friend. It's been great being here. Thanks for all you do. We'll be back next week with more veganism, health, food, fashion, technology, and everything in between. I've been your host, Robbie Lockie. Thank you for joining us. Please comment, like, and share. You can listen to this podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. And uh, it's been a real pleasure, and I'll see you next time.